1: Born in 1858 to immigrant parents, he worked hard and built a reputation as a smart young man. He graduated in 1880 from the University of Vermont with a degree in medicine and was quickly hired by the Union Pacific Railroad as a company surgeon, which ultimately led him from the East Coast to the western town of Rawlins, Wyoming. He dabbled in other occupations and seemed to find success in all of them. He was a farmer. A banker, a chemist, and a rancher, and together with his day job as a physician, these careers all seemed to fill his coffers and bolster his reputation. By the age of 25, he was an elected official in Wyoming, kicking off a career that led him to the U.S. House of Representatives, and even a two-year term as the governor of Wyoming. It's said that Osborne could often be seen around town smiling and waving to people he knew, all dressed up in his fine suit with his two-tone leather shoes and matching leather medicine bag. He was normal, successful, and the sort of man you'd want on your side if you were feeling ill or needed the advice of a kind doctor. That's John Osborne. But I want to tell you about another man as well. Because if John Osborne had an exact opposite, George Big Nose Warden was it. Born around the same time, George hadn't managed to find the same path to success that John had. In fact, by 1878, Big Nose George was an outlaw running his own gang of criminals. That was the same year that George and his associates tried to rob a train outside of Rollins, Wyoming, home to good old Dr. John Osborne. But it turns out there were a couple of undercover sheriffs working alongside him. George ran, and then when he had the lawmen in his sight, he killed them. He managed to live on the run for 2 years before making the mistake of telling someone about the murders. He was turned in, arrested, and then transported back to Rollins for his trial. On March 22nd of 1881, before his trial could actually begin, George was pulled out of jail by an angry mob and dragged kicking and screaming to a nearby telegraph pole where a noose had been arranged. George was the opposite of John Osborne. John was popular but the entire mob hated George. So when he managed to get his hands free from the rope that bound him and then wrap his arms around the pole to keep himself from hanging, the crowd just watched and waited. No one helped him. No one took him up on his request to shoot him and prevent the slow death by strangulation. They just mocked him and watched the clock. Before long, big nosed George's arms gave out and he dropped. He was dead a few minutes later slowly choked by the noose around his neck. He was buried in a plain pine box. Legend says that George's nose was so big that the undertaker had to get help to hold the lid down so that he could nail it shut. I've seen pictures of the guy, and honestly, I can believe it. Big Nose George earned that nickname. A short while after he was buried, though, someone dug him up. A local physician wanted to do an autopsy and study the remains of the murderer to see what physical reasons there might be for George's deviant behavior. But he didn't find anything. He did, however, keep some souvenirs. The doctor took some skin from George's chest and legs and had it tanned. He made leather from the flesh of a dead human. And then he took that leather to a cobbler and had a pair of shoes made. Oh, and a medicine bag. Naturally. Naturally. So there you go, the story of two very different men, a convicted killer and the well-respected local doctor who wanted to better understand him, which reminds me of an old saying, sometimes in order to understand a person, you need to walk a mile in their shoes. If that's true, then one thing is certain, no one understood Big Nose George Warden better than Dr. John Osborne.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life, transform the world.
1: This episode is sponsored by Intuit. and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T dot com to start living yours. Let's get into it. jimmy ran away to join the circus i know it's a bit stereotypical but i promise you it is the truth he jumped on a train in brooklyn and let it take him all the way to nebraska somewhere between those two locations though he tossed the circus idea out the window and decided to see what else life might have in store for him When he arrived in Nebraska, he stepped off the train and began a new life with a clean slate. He even changed his name. From that moment on, he would be Richard Hart. He worked to get rid of his thick Brooklyn accent, made friends, and built a career. And life was good. He spent time in the Army and served as an officer in France during World War I, but eventually returned home. Because that's what Homer, Nebraska had become for him. It was home. In 1919, a flash flood swept through town. Hart managed to save the local grocery store owner, and as a result, the grocer thought so highly of Hart that he allowed the man to date his daughter. A pair eventually married, too. During the prohibition, Hart served as an investigator, seeking out bootleggers and bringing them to justice. When he began wearing a pair of guns, one pistol on each hip, the locals started to call him Two Guns Hart. He was effective, too making numerous arrests and shutting down dozens of operations. And all that success earned him a new job as the town marshal right there in Homer. But that's when the cracks started to show. Richard Hart, they said, was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He had a track record for being more than a little too violent with the Native Americans he encountered, and had been accused a number of times of petty theft while performing his duty as marshal. His true nature was catching up with him, it seemed, When he was removed from his post as marshal, he found himself unemployed and running out of money, so he reached out to the family he had abandoned years before, sending a letter to one of his brothers for help. In response, that brother sent a check. The following month, he sent another. And on and on it went, with the generosity of his family helping him stay afloat and pay the bills. That's the thing about family. When times are tough, they always seem to be there. They rally around us. Lift us up and give us what we need. Richard Hart's own family seemed completely normal in that respect. Except they weren't. They were so far from normal that it's no wonder little Jimmy had left town two decades before and then changed his name. Because even though they were blood, they were dangerous. Don't believe me? Then I recommend doing a bit of light reading about Jimmy's brother, Alphonse. Because I guarantee it'll open your eyes. After all, there's a reason Jimmy's brother had a lot of money. He was a mobster, perhaps the mobster, who'd built a career and fortune in the illegal bootlegging industry. Jimmy's brother Alphonse, you see, was none other than the legendary crime boss himself, Al Capone. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities,